from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast, which of course you can find at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening, downloading, subscribing, reviewing, and I want to start today by talking about a story that I haven't talked about a lot in podcasts. Well, I'm just doing little bits on the roundtable, but I do want to discuss it just because it has advanced a little bit this week. Then we're going to get to some Blue Jays talk. Leslie Mack and I are going to have a conversation about what's going on at Rogers Center with the new stuff there. But I do want to talk first, very briefly, about what has happened with the Police Services Board appointment. I've talked about it a little bit on the roundtable. I've tweeted about it a little bit, but let's let's get it out in, in audio form. So here's where we are at now. There have been five candidates identified for interviews by London City Council to get this spot on the Police Services Board. If you're not fully up to date on the Police Service Board, here is the story. When council took over, the new council took over at the very end of last year, they appoint all sorts of new people to boards and commissions. Those terms run parallel to council terms, right? So at the beginning of the term, London City Councillors decided that Susan Toth, who had been their representative, who had been the, the public representative on the board uh, the previous four years, should get another four years. She wanted it, she asked for it, and they gave it to her, and that's great. But then Susan decided that she didn't feel like she was an effective advocate. This is back in January, so a few months after being reappointed. So that means there is a new opening on the board. Council gets one of the seven seats on the board for a public position. The way it works is there are three seats that are elected people from London City Hall. One for the mayor and two for councillors. In this particular case, the mayor obviously is Josh Morgan. The councillors are Steve Lehman and Susan Stevenson. Those appointed by the province are Megan Walker, who of course has been a London City Councillor before and was the executive director of the London Bees Women's Centre for a long time. Nancy Branscombe, who has also been a city councillor before. And uh, Ali Jabbar, in full disclosure, I've got varying degrees of relationships with those people from a professional perspective, uh, all of them in fact, but those are the folks that are on the board right now. And that meant that there were five people who identified as, as white individuals and just one person who came from minority background, who of course is Ali Jabbar, who's Muslim. And when Susan left, she said she wanted a black or indigenous person or a person of color to take her spot. So the truth is that Susan doesn't get a say in who takes her spot. It doesn't really, like Susan can ask, and Susan can make suggestions, of course, and she, like anyone else, can have her political views on who should take that spot, but she doesn't get a say on the way out the door. However, she was right from this perspective. You can't have that board be 87% white. You can't. It just, it just is not the type of oversight board that you should have in this particular situation. And I think everyone has come to grips with that being the case. And I know that some people don't like to hear that. Well, I want to get the, the best person for the job. That's not typically how we do hiring. We typically do hiring via uh, who knows who and who has the right relationship. So let's not pretend there's some sort of meritocracy that's being thrown out the door here. Uh, but that's, you just can't have this board be 87% white. That was a political error. 
So, here we come. A few weeks back at council. It's time to fill this spot because Susan's been gone since January and the province needs to know who else is going to be on the police services board. Council votes. And the votes after several rounds of voting come out and say, Josh Morgan and some of his colleagues on council decide that Ryan Goss should take that spot. Ryan, tons of relevant experience. Ryan has served on various boards. Ryan has worked with the RCMP in a civilian role. Ryan knows policing. However, Ryan also was Josh Morgan's campaign manager. And that's why I mentioned Josh Morgan first amongst the councillors and elected officials who voted for Ryan. Could you have gotten away in a vacuum with London Police Services Board being 87% white? I don't think so. Maybe you could have hypothetically. I don't know. Could you have gotten away with appointing someone who was a big voice on Josh Morgan's campaign? the London Police Services Board. Yeah, hypothetically, maybe, depending. Could you have gotten away with both at the same time? Probably not. And I think that some people around the London City Council horseshoe realize that. And I know there are some folks in the community who are not happy, who are displeased that we've had to go through this entire song and dance because what happened was Committee says, all right, let's make it Ryan. Gets back to council. Council says, and, and Josh Morgan led the way on this. He said, you know what? Let's just take a breath here. We don't like the way the process played out. Let's find someone who all of council can support and try another run at this. And that's what they did. And I know that people are not happy that they had to take the second run at it. I, I get that. I understand it. But here's what I'm going to say about that. If you want politicians to listen to you, and you say to politicians, look, we don't think this is the right appointment to this board. And then they say, all right, we're going to start the process again. We're going to rework this and get a, a, a process that makes a little more sense. I think you've got to give them some credit for that, don't you? Because if you don't give credit for a politician being willing to reverse course on something, then why would they ever reverse course on anything? Why would they ever change their mind about anything? If we're in a situation where, okay, once you've made decision X, then you have to be stuck with the results of decision X, no matter what happens next. Then why is anyone ever going to change their mind about anything? Hey, I think that we can go back to the drawing board and make a better decision here. I think that's good. Now, if you want to say, hey, look, council, you still booted this. This is something you should have realized and seen coming a mile away when you decided that Ryan, who, again, I've got a great relationship with Ryan. Ryan's a fantastic guy. But when you decided that Ryan Goss was going to be the appointee to the police services board, you should have seen this coming. Just, you know, do better with this. I think that's an entirely fair criticism. But if they're going to find someone else for this particular gig, well, don't you have to say, all right, you've listened to the community on that? Isn't that the result? That's my estimation of it, at least. So they say, we've got to redo the process. We want to have five people who get interviewed. We want to talk to five folks, do the interview, not sort of in public session, and then we'll pick after we do the interview. So here are the five folks. Gita Canarin who is uh, basically a therapist and a clinical psychologist who's worked with treat, treating first responders before. That, I think, would be valuable experience on the police services board. Gita is someone who identifies being from minority community. Joseph Wabagijig, 
who is the executive director of Adelosha Family Healing Services, and he has served on a First Nations police board before. So Joseph, very good resume. And Joseph's an indigenous guy. Stephen Emilio, who is the former president of Pride London Festival. I've talked to Stephen a couple of times. And he is someone who has built bridges between the Pride community and London police in the past. He's helped repair the damage to that relationship. I've got a lot of respect for Stephen. I think Stephen's a pretty smart guy. And if they went with him, I think that would be a completely reasonable choice. Stephen's a member of the black community. Uh, Michelle Anderson who, uh, is also someone who identifies as being from a minority community in, uh, in London, is someone who works at Western University in uh, student support, and is someone who's done a lot of work surrounding disability issues within the province. Also, some experience that I think makes a lot of sense to have on a police services board. Okay, so those are going to be the five plus Ryan Goss. And we've already talked about Ryan. So here's the thing. It's going to be one of, the, it's going to be one of the four who's not Ryan. And again, I cannot say enough good things about Ryan as an advocate, as someone who does a lot of great work in the community, as someone who cares about the community. But here's the political situation. And Ryan's smart enough to know this. If Josh Morgan takes all this heat for him being the first person who gets voted police services board, is he really going to go back and redo the process and have Ryan get voted on again? Is that the way this is going to go? That just is a, a massive political nightmare that I don't think that anybody wants. Nobody should want it. So as much as Ryan is very much someone who's got experience that makes sense for this role, that's, I just don't think he's the guy. That's not the way this is going to go. And if it does go, I'll be surprised. If it does go the way, I'll, I'll be surprised. And we'll see. Maybe some folks will change direction on it and that's the way it'll happen. But I would be surprised if that's the way it goes. So it's going to be one of these other folks. And I'm not sure who it's going to be. But there's a lot of people who I think would make a lot of sense and have a lot of experience that would be very valuable in the police services board world. So council is going to put this together at some point. We don't know when they're going to do the interviews. They need to have the right people in place for the interviews, all this stuff. And then we'll see. I think the lesson to be learned here though, well, there's two lessons, eh, maybe three. Lesson the first, the, pro the city of London gets control over one seat on the police services board when it comes to citizen appointees. The province gets three, the city of London gets one. I don't think that's the way it should be. I think that the city of London should have more citizen appointees on the board than the province, but I don't get to rewrite the Police Services Act. That sadly is not within my powers. So as much as that sucks, if you're the city of London, you essentially have to react to who's already on the board that's been named by the province with your one spot. And if Vanessa Antman-Smith, who I've got a lot of respect for, I like Vanessa quite a bit, uh, if she was on the police services board, would naming Ryan Goss to the police services board have been a new story? Probably not. Or at the very least, it wouldn't have been a big deal. However, we don't live in a world where Vanessa was still on the police services board. It's not the way it went. So the percentages on that particular board matter. And I know people don't like hearing that, but you're going to have to live with it. The percentages on that particular board matter. So... There was a lack of reading the room, I think, on the part of 
some city councilors on the part of the mayor, realizing you can't have this be a board that's 87% white. They needed to not make that be what occurred. And that's what happened. So now they've asked for a mulligan. We'll see what the mulligan, what sort of shot the mulligan winds up becoming, to borrow a golf term. But that's the first lesson is you got to read the room with this stuff and just think ahead and just realize that if you've got the board that's discussing the way the community is being policed, it can't be nearly all white. It can't be. Like the issues surrounding the way different communities are policed are, are quite clear. And is this the same problem in London, Ontario, that it is in Toronto or some of the other bigger markets in the country? You could argue no, but I would push back and say it doesn't particularly matter whether it's the exact same issue. I think the oversight should be reflective of what the community is. I really believe that. And council should have seen that coming. So there's lesson one. Lesson two, I do think the appointment system in the city of London is broken. We saw it with what happened with the library board too. And we had, if you want to go back and listen to that podcast, we had Ryan O'Hagan on this podcast to talk about that whole disaster. Uh, The appointment system is broken. I'm not exactly sure how we fix it. I know the city of London's governance working group is going to be looking into that. That's something that Sean Lewis and, and Elizabeth Pelosa, who are the deputy mayor and budget chair respectively, have said, hey, we should look into this. I think they're absolutely right. They're correct about that, that we should look into this. We'll see what comes up. But the system is broken. And I know that people don't want to hear that. But the system is broken. Here's, the, here's where the broken system came to play on this one. Councillors and the mayor, they didn't know the way that everyone's ballot looked after round one of the balloting surrounding who should be on the police services board. Or they didn't know what the ranked ballot looked like or who liked which candidates. Because we may have had a situation here where a whole lot of people had a different number one candidate, but everyone had the same second candidate. I feel as though counselors were a little bit in the dark about what their colleagues wanted to do. So that's the part where the system was broken. And it was. It was broken. And that needs to be fixed. And I think that we're working on that, which is good. And the third and final lesson is... You've got to be smart when you're appointing someone with whom you have very close political ties to a role. Ziba Hashmi is the person that the mayor voted for on the first round of balloting surrounding this, the, the police service board appointment the first time through. Ziba worked on Josh's campaign. I know Ziba. And if you know Ziba, uh, Ziba is someone who is an uh, uh, extremely pleasant individual to be around and someone who's done a lot of good work in this community. There's a lot of credit for that. And when the mayor voted for Ziba, He was also voting for someone who was on his campaign team. Wasn't the manager like Ryan was, but was also voting for someone who was on his campaign team. Now that didn't get as much attention just because it wasn't the double whammy and Ziba didn't wind up winning. Nonetheless, I still think there does need to be a little bit of, I don't know if careful is, yeah, no, let's use the word careful. People got to be careful when voting for someone with whom they have very close political ties. And did the mayor do anything wrong or break the rules and ethics when it comes to voting for Ryan Goss? The answer is no. Not what happened. That was checked out with the folks who know those rules, the lawyers. So I'm not going to sit here and say that rules are broken. But there were mistakes that were made here. And those mistakes need to be cleaned up. And I think that what council has done here is going to clean up those mistakes. 
I know that not everyone's going to be satisfied with this. People are going to be pissed off when it's over. I understand that. A lot of people are going to be pissed off. There's no way that we can solve this particular issue with everyone being happy. But I think that what they did, which was let's stop, let's redo the process, figure something else out. I think that makes sense compared to where we were at a few weeks ago on this. Let's take a break. More of the Craig Needles podcast coming up in just a few minutes. Talking baseball with Leslie Mack here on the Craig Needles podcast, which you can find at LondonNewsToday.ca and ClassicRock981.com. And as promised, uh, we are going to talk a little Blue Jays to wrap up this edition of the Craig Needles podcast. And Rogers Center has received, I, I was going to say a facelift, but I, I think it's more than a facelift is what we should call it. And it's kind of a uh, step one of a, of a multi-step process here. And to uh, join us to talk about it is uh, noted Blue Jays fan, noted flight deck connoisseur, uh, Leslie Mack, who you may know on uh, on the Twitter machine is Leslie. Nope, joins us uh, on the Craig Needles podcast chat about that. Hello, Leslie. Thank you for doing this. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. So you had a chance to go check out Rogers Center, a few of the spaces. Uh, What's it like now? What's different? What's the same? What's the vibe like? Well, let's start with the vibe. And the vibes, as we say, are immaculate. So (laughs) uh, it's very busy. And everyone walking around is just, they're looking up and they're looking around and they're all pointing. And every other conversation is one person telling the other person about what they've done to upgrade the Rogers Center, also known as, of course, Skydome. So the energy is high. And what I'm noticing right now is that you'll see um, gaps in the seating, but then you'll see the front rows of every standing area or every every social and group area is completely full. If you don't get a front row standing spot early on pre-game, or unless you have a friend making a reservation, holding a spot for you, you're not going to, you're not going to have a view of the game. That's how big it is right now. Wow. Okay. Well, that's interesting because, yeah, you've got, I guess you've got to be sort of right up to the front there. Otherwise, you're not going to be viewing the game. Now, for some people, that may not necessarily even be priority number one. They just may want to be there to, to hang out for a lot of it, right? Yes. So um, I've explored um, most of the 100 levels, um, both the, the stop, uh, the catch bar, Rogers Landing, and then I've also explored the 500 levels, so the park social and also the Corona Rooftop Patio. And it is very clear who is here to see and who is here to be seen. Mm-hmm. And yes, if you, especially the 500 levels um, and especially the Corona rooftop, uh, I'd say 90% of the people on that patio are there to be there and not necessarily, and there just happens to be a game incidentally in the background. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Like, you buy your ticket, you can do what you want when you're there. I'm personally someone who's going to be very hyper-focused on the baseball game happening in front of me. I realize that's not necessarily the deal for everyone, though, but it just kind of feels, feels like ballparks, and I've been to a, a whole lot of major league parks, are kind of evolving this way, where they're they're sort of thinking to themselves, the people who are planning these things out, not every single person of the 40,000 here are going to be super-focused on the baseball game in front of them, which, again, not for me, but I understand that I'm not every single client who walks through the door at Rogers Center. Yeah, that's exactly it, Craig. Um, I've been involved with a bunch of surveys and focus groups that the Jays have held over the past uh, two, maybe three years. And you can tell by their questions, it's very pointed. Um, You're trying to see what they're trying to get at, which is talking about these neighborhoods for people to gather and other reasons for being at the Dome, you know, to connect with friends, to feel connected with the community and the city, to feel pride, to have something to do on a Friday night, not just to, to watch a baseball team. So they've really accomplished that now. And what they're trying to do as well is to make the Skydome performance proof, 
right? So this is going to be potentially a place to be whether the Jays are playing well or Jerry is playing, playing poorly. If they are in a playoff contention, if this is a rebuilding year, they want this to be a place that people just want to go and meet and socialize. And I mean, I, I can't argue against that, right? I mean, more money that going towards the team potentially leads to more payroll in the future yeah. um, or something to that extent. And uh, and I think it really, I think it's it, the plan, that was the plan and it's been executed very efficiently. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad to hear that. I'm really looking forward to checking out those spaces and, and, and seeing what it's like. And from what I understand, and, and I don't know if this is a, an option that you took when you were there, but th- you can buy tickets that don't even have a seat. You just pay $20 to get into the building and you're essentially, you can go to uh, from space to space there and, and go wherever you want within the ballpark, but you just don't have a specific seat. Yeah, the out, outfield district seats are, are known as general admission, 20 bucks, and you just wander and you just roam. And um, I mean... I, I will say I was one of, you know, the early adapters. I, I created that for myself because back in 2016, uh, but halfway through the season, I had I had uh, a ticket pack and I had two seats and I sat in those two seats with friends for the first half of the season. And then uh, once I went to with a friend and she, she pointed to the flight deck as we walked by and she said, what is that? And I said, oh, that's the flight deck. She said, let's go hang out there. And we hung out there and it was the best time. And I think I stopped going to my seats ever since then. So I've had either game packs or quarter season tickets since then, and I have not sat on my seat once except for wild card one. That's it. Okay. And well, the less said about wild card two, the better. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm sure it was not a bad view for, for, for wild card one. No, but, that uh, game just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Wild so card two okay. has been, uh, I, if, if the men in black erasing thing could happen, like I would like sign up voluntarily it's, to have wild like card the, two erased from my brain. It's like how the 2015 World Series also yeah. just didn't happen. Yeah, right? that's true. So, as far as I, that, that pitch to Ben Revere was called the ball, Toronto won game <laughs> six, and then they just didn't play game seven. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's it's different. It's better. And here's the thing, and, and I say this about Roger Center all the time: is people, oh, the Jays got to replace Roger Center. They got to have it be like these nice new parks. That's all well and good to say, but the most important thing in real estate, friends, is location, location, location. And what location could one possibly fathom that would even be close to as good as where Roger Center is right now? So I think it makes sense for the ball club and for everybody else involved, including the city of Toronto, that hey, we're just going to put some money into the building that currently exists because there's no no way we can get a better location than the one we've got right now. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the idea of like environmentally friendly buildings and the most environmentally friendly building is the one that's already there. Right. Right. So we've got it. It's in the right spot. It is basically a bomb shelter. So it's pretty sturdy, except for our, our little roof that occasionally gets some holes and turns into a colander at times and needs to be fixed. But it's there. It's it's got the bones and now we're putting money into making it better and honestly it is a totally it's a totally different place right now and absolutely like in the vibes the the way it's structured the way the fans engaged um the way we watch the game the experience that we have we've it's like you said it's more than a facelift it's been a major overhaul and this is just the beginning yeah we're gonna do all the infield seats uh this coming off season right that's the plan yeah yeah i have a few friends with season tickets in the infield that are uh are 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 holding on to the uh, the affordability of them right now, and they know that that will not be the case in the future. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's you know that's, that's just part of the way sports goes. Sadly, uh, yeah. is that things become more expensive. But when this building was built, it was built for both football and baseball. 
Football yeah. is no longer part of the deal anymore. And if you're familiar with the Rogers Center, you understand that the infield seats especially, the way that they're kind of positioned is your body isn't naturally looking at where the action is. Your body isn't naturally looking at the pitcher's mound or home plate. It's kind of like staring out in the center field. So it's like, all right, maybe we can replace some of these seats. They've, they've, they've been there for 30 years. Let's make some changes. Yeah, and there's a lot of issues. Like the direction is poor. They are so close together, especially behind home plate, yep. that you are uh, overly intimately involved with the person next to you, whether you know them or not. There, we're lacking cup holders. I will. T- I am just team cup holder. It uh, doesn't matter what you say. If something is happening in the sky dome, if there's a, 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 a people painting, the question is, are you adding in cup holders? So lacking cup holders is a serious issue there as well. And I suspect they're going to start adding in some really premium experiences that are like, you know, but like restaurants underneath the seats with the, mm-hmm. you know, the fenced in seating. I've seen that in a few, you know, a few different stadiums, yep. uh, stuff where you can have a really elevated uh, fan experience in addition to just sitting on in regular seats in the 100s. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a good thing. And, and the other good thing about it is uh, a lot of uh, baseball teams or sporting, te- sporting uh, organizations in general, when it's time for a new stadium time, they will go to their municipality, city, state, province, whatever it happens to be, and say, hey, will you uh, help uh, us, a, billion, a multi-billion dollar organization, pay for a new place for us to do business? Uh, Rogers, to their credit, even though they got a great deal when they purchased this building, uh, they haven't done that. They, they're just going to put their own cash in there, and uh, I think they do deserve some credit for that. And uh, uh, as, as much as it is loath for me to credit Rogers for something, I think they do, do, deserve, <laughs> do deserve some points for that. Well, well, we'll leave it at neutral and not uh, take away points. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. We can uh, uh, we can just say, all right, it's fine. But uh, yeah, it's it, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that uh, that it, that it's good there. I'm glad that it's a situation where people are are, are happy with the changes because uh, look, th- th- this building didn't need to be fifty five thousand seats. That's what it was sort of at the at the very beginning, fifty five thousand, I think, for baseball. So what are we at now? Somewhere in the low forties, right? As we sort of take seats out and put the social the social aspect of it in, and that's okay. We we don't need to have uh, a ballpark that was 55,000 seats because you're not going to sell that many seats very often. So I think it's it's going to be a better place to watch a game. You don't need as many seats as they've been using. So it's a, it's a win all the way around in my estimation. And again, they just did such a good job executing. So it's not just that they, you know, cut down on seats to be more efficient. Like these are very right. good spaces to be in. Um, the catch bar is beautiful. Like this just random art deco spot in right field that does not match up with any other type of design aspect of the Sky Dome or anything really in Toronto so much. And it's just there and you stand there and you feel like you're in this cool, fancy space. And then you could also, you know, catch a home run or... Um, you know, make fun of a relief pitcher. So <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, and, and then it's also right next to the bleachers, which is a completely different, a brand new one and a completely different vibe again. And then it's also next to Rogers Landing where you can, you know, I got a chance to get a ball thrown and I was, you can kind of engage with the, the pitchers and the coaches. And um, one of my friends, um, Alex, was chatting with a bullpen catcher during one game. Uh, so like each space is very different, but they, provides such so much of an added experience and what i'm excited to do actually is to go over to the left field balcony um for my next game and be able to sort of hang out with the the jays bullpen and see what that's like yeah that'll be cool and uh well and, and who knows maybe maybe you and tim mazel strike up a conversation <laughs> <laughs> 
just maybe. asking what's up. Just, just asking, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit worried. And I know I, I saw you tweeting about this. I am worried about is there going to be some some negative incident involved? Just how close fans are to the opposing team's bullpen. Like, I understand this is the case in a lot of places, but this is new to Toronto. So I am worried about, hey, what's that going to be like? And is there going to be some type of incident there? So far, through a couple home series, it's been pretty good. Uh, but, uh, like, there, I, I know he's mentioned a, a beer being spilled down there, but that's not the end of the world, and no one's being malicious when that occurs. So, so far, pretty good. But I, I'm going to be worried about that for a little while, just while people get used to things. Well, and I think, I mean, we have a setup that is a little more fraught than in the past, but also Shaparo's talked about it. That was the goal, right? To create a little bit of an intimidation factor there uh, to make the, the incoming or the, the opposing pitchers a little bit uncomfortable. But I mean, whether we have proximity to the bullpen or not, I mean, like people are people, right? And some of them are just going to do things that are not ideal, like the first year out of the pandemic, how many uh, people did we have r- running on the field? Right, two, yep. three, four. I, I, I was at. I think I was literally at three games where someone. It ran was. On it the was field. at least a handful. A handful, yeah. rather. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not great, and it's not safe, and it's not healthy, but it's also not something that's exceptionally strange or unique to the experience of being at a ball game or humanity, for that fact. So no. I think it's going to take some time for this to, to shake down and see what the norms are, and I think we are going to have some people not being great, unfortunately, but also uh, overall, I think the goals will be accomplished. Yeah, I uh, I, I think so as well. Leslie, anything else that, that folks should know, sort of, if, if they haven't had a chance to go yet and they're, they're heading down to to, to, to Rogers Center for the next homestand or, or this summer or wherever it's going to be or whenever it's going to be that they're going. Any other uh, hints, tips, or, or things to look out for that you want to suggest them before we wrap up here? Yeah, um, there's a, the food services are still figuring things out. So I think you got to give them some grace as they um, work through their, their flow of payment and, and delivery of food. Um, the, the $17 milkshake at the Park Social is not appropriately priced, and I dis- highly discourage anyone from uh, ordering that. Just get the Sunday because the Sunday is excellent and half the price and same calories. Um, and also, if you would like a good view in these standing spaces, you have to get there early. Um, don't think that you're going to just you know go to your seat and then halfway through be able to get a really good standing space. It's, it's, very, it's very, very crowded right now. Basically, unless, I guess, it's a really quiet midweek game um then try to get there early if you want to get a good spot yeah i think that uh that makes sense uh, that's good advice leslie thank you so much for doing this always good to chat with you and uh, i'll be down at rogers center i'm not exactly sure when hopefully soon and hopefully you're there too yeah, well, you know how to find me. Just look at my uh, look at my selfies, and you'll know where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Twitter's usually a good indicator of where in the ballpark <laughs> you can be located. So, uh, Leslie, thank you so much for doing this. Glad that you could do it. Thank you, Craig. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 